Greetings and welcome to another episode of From John to Justin, part two where I look at the opposition leaders who never became Prime Minister. If you like, you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and click Donate. Don't forget I have three other podcasts out there. Canadian History X, which releases every Monday, Wednesday, and Saturday. Canada's Great War, which releases every single Sunday. And Coast to Coast, which releases every single Thursday. You can email me at craig at CanadaEHX.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. And I'm on Instagram at Bairdo37. So far, we have looked at two liberal leaders who never became prime minister. Today, we reach our first conservative leader of the opposition who never became PM. And it comes only a few years after our last individual, Daniel Duncan McKenzie. This time, we're talking about Hugh Guthrie, the man who served between two conservative prime ministers, Arthur Meehan and R.B. Bennett. Although he didn't start out as conservative, but I'll get to that. Born in Guelph, Ontario on August 13, 1866, his father was Donald Guthrie, a prominent politician himself. Donald had served in the House of Commons as a Liberal from 1876 to 1882, and then in the Legislative Assembly of Ontario from 1886 to 1894. Into this political family with a father who also had a background in law, Hugh would be born. Like his father, he would pursue becoming a lawyer, studying at Osgoode Hall, and being named to the King's Council in 1902. During his time with the Guelph Collegiate Institute, which he attended prior to Osgoode Hall, he had several well-known classmates, the most famous of which was John McRae, author of In Flanders Field. As a young man, he would often work on political campaigns, and in Western Ontario he gained the name Boy Orator. Public school inspector James Davison would say of Guthrie at the time, when he gave his first public appearance at 17 to speak about a Liberal Party platform, quote, There is nothing to show, then, that in the militant liberalism of the youth there smoldered the Tory flame of today, but I vote for Huey, just the same, on great principles, end quote. On October 27, 1898, the Windsor Star wrote about Premier Arthur Hardy attending an event in Whitby, Ontario. At the event, he was introduced by Hugh Guthrie, which the newspaper described as such, quote, Mr. Hardy was preceded by Mr. Hugh Guthrie, a clever young liberal from Guelph who distinguished himself as a very witty speaker, end quote. Less than six months later, Guthrie would be nominated by the Liberal Party to run for the House of Commons. On December 20th, 1899, the Windsor Star reported that he was beginning his campaign for election with an event at the Opera House in South Wellington. It reported, quote, There was very good attendance considering that politics have not waxed anything like warm yet. In the audience were a large number of ladies who listened with interest to the speakers until the close of the meeting at half past ten, end quote. In 1900, he would be elected to the same riding his father held, also as a liberal, Laurier liked Guthrie and often called him Huey. During his first term in the House of Commons, Guthrie was already being marked for promotion due to his keen intellect, imposing appearance due to being taller than most people at the time, and his polite manners. In 1911, Guthrie had made enough of a name for himself that he was a rising star up the ranks of the party, and it was known that Sir Wilfrid Laurier was going to appoint him as the Minister of Justice 
after the federal election. Unfortunately for Guthrie, the Conservatives came to power, and the chances for Guthrie to serve in cabinet quickly vanished. In 1914, Maclean's described Guthrie as such, quote, He is built for the job, quiet, observant, strong. There is nothing theatrical about him. He does not pose. He is devoid of affection. He is no demagogue, and he doesn't practice the arts of popularity. He will not be stampeded. He studies a situation before he deals with it, and even the enthusiasm of the boys will not carry him along until he is satisfied to go. End quote. After stating that he was what the party needed as it dealt with being in opposition, the article would state, quote, His mind is open to fresh impressions. He listens to all, examines all, and advocates what seems to him the most practical improvements. And when he goes forth to war, it is like Thor of the Thunder Hammer sallying forth to Asgard to battle with the mud giants. His enemy is not the government, it is their administration. His force is not hurled against men, but against things. His battle is not with performers, but with performance. When Hugh Guthrie fights, he fights a cause. End quote. Guthrie would sit in the caucus of Sir Wilfrid Laurier for 17 years, but when the conscription crisis of 1917 erupted and the Liberal Party was split between those who supported it and those who did not, Guthrie chose to cross the floor and join the Unionist government of Sir Robert Borden. Guthrie would state in Toronto on July 24, 1917, quote, I certainly do not agree with the stand taken by the convention of Liberal candidates and members. I oppose the position that was taken at the meeting and have not changed the position I took in the House when I spoke on the conscription bill. End quote. Guthrie felt that there were many young men in cities and towns who would never be reached except by a conscription measure, and he urged leaders to try again for a coalition government that would support conscription. As a prominent liberal who had crossed the floor, he was rewarded with the post of Solicitor General in the Unionist Party. Now, the decision to cross the floor could have come about because Guthrie spent over a decade as a backbencher in the party, never getting that cabinet post. By crossing the floor, he likely hurt his chances of becoming Prime Minister. In 1914, he had been considered to be the natural successor to Laurier, who would pass away in 1919. Of course, Guthrie was highly patriotic, and he supported all the government measures, he made recruiting speeches, and he did everything within his power to get the country behind the war effort. He was the first Liberal in Parliament to break with the party over conscription, he would stand in Parliament and even make a speech calling for a coalition and conscription, and as a prominent member of the Liberals to break with the party, he was quickly followed by others who supported conscription but worried about breaking from Laurier. Now to say he crossed the floor may be a bit misleading, as many members of the Liberals joined the Unionist Party, which again was a coalition with the Conservatives and Liberals who supported conscription. It is not like today where one would cross the floor and be part of the rival party. Many in his writing were also unhappy about his choice to cross the floor. At a meeting in Guelph on September 29, 1917, he was highly criticized by attendees. He would tell the attendees in his speech that he had done what he believed was his duty, and he would stand by his convictions whether the Liberal Association of South Wellington supported him or not. He would say, quote, Laying down the policies of the two political leaders side by side, which do you think the Kaiser would choose? End quote. As such, when the First World War ended, most of those who had joined the Unionist Party from the Liberals went back to the Liberal Party or joined the new Progressive Party. Guthrie chose to remain with the Conservatives, 
and he would be appointed as the Minister of Militia and Defence until the Conservatives were pushed to the opposition in the 1921 election. Guthrie, having switched the Conservatives, barely won his riding. He would take the riding with 36.6% of the vote, only 125 votes more than his opponent. This was the only time Guthrie would ever have less than 51% of the vote in his riding. When Arthur Meehan formed a government in 1926, Guthrie was appointed as the Minister of Justice and the Minister of National Defense. The Meehan government, as we know in my episode on him, did not last long and quickly fell later that year. Meehan lost his seat in the election and Guthrie found himself as the new interim leader of the Conservative Party and the leader of the opposition. In the 1927 leadership convention, Guthrie attempted to remain on as leader of the party. At the time, he was believed to be the front-runner, and this was the first official conservative leadership convention in the party's history, and the only real competition to Guthrie was R.B. Bennett, who had risen to prominence over the past few years. Guthrie may have been the front-runner, but he said something that would destroy his chances. He said, quote, Ladies and gentlemen, I welcome this, the greatest liberal convention in all history. End quote. Future Prime Minister John Diefenbaker was at that convention, and he would write in his memoirs that Guthrie hurt his chances of winning when he accidentally had that slip of the tongue. Guthrie would go on to state, quote, We are meeting today for the purpose of electing a permanent and not a temporary leader of the Conservative Party. The interests of the Conservative Party are far greater than the interests of any candidate for leadership. I like the motto on the door of the hall, that motto which states, East meets West. Let there be Canada, no East, no West, but only one Canada. Let us view all questions from a Dominion standpoint. Unfortunately for Guthrie, Bennett proved to be strong competition, and his slip of the tongue hurt his chances. Bennett took the leadership on the second ballot with 50.2%, while Guthrie finished second with 20.6%. The only political election that Guthrie ever lost was the leadership convention, arguably his most important election. While he was not leader, he remained with the party, and in 1930, R.B. Bennett cruised to victory, and Guthrie found himself in the high-profile post of Minister of Justice and Attorney General. Guthrie was actually quite similar to Bennett. He tended not to play golf, he never fished, read light novels, and the only sport that he would really take up was bridge. One thing he did love was collecting antiques, which included old pictures and furniture, as well as old china and more. In 1930, Guthrie would attend the Imperial Conference in London, and in 1931, he would lead the Canadian delegation at the League of Nations. As the Minister of Justice, he would be highly involved in many high-profile incidences for the government. He would openly clash with Agnes MacPhail, who had sat in the opposition and was demanding an inquiry into the inhumane conditions in Canadian prisons, he would also introduce legislation to make it illegal to carry a concealed weapon without authorization. Guthrie and his department also cracked down on what they saw as a threat of communism during the first years of the Great Depression. Due to this, the Communist Party of Canada would be persecuted heavily, and its leader, Tim Buck, would be incarcerated under the charge of sedition. While incarcerated, Tim Buck would be shot at by soldiers in what was stated to be an assassination attempt while he was inside his cell during a prison riot. After extensive news coverage, Guthrie had to admit that the attack was deliberate, but the intent was only to frighten him. In July of 1934, Guthrie would state in the House of Commons, quote, The purpose was not to injure him, but only to frighten him, 
and as I said the other day, dissuade him from making any further speeches. End quote. He would continue, quote, The situation was serious and Buck was one who had been encouraging the disorder. He was in his cell making speeches to the prisoners and encouraging the disorders. I suppose that it was to frighten or cow him that guards fired into the ceiling of his cell. There could be no doubt of this. If anyone had wanted to shoot Tim Buck, it would have been done. The fact that 11 shots were fired and he was not hit shows that they were not trying to hit him. End quote. Witness testimony would show that Buck had been sitting quietly in his cell during the riot. The public outcry was so intense over this that Buck was released. 1931. Buck is arrested. He and seven associates are convicted of belonging to an unlawful organization and of being parties to seditious conspiracy. Buck goes to Kingston Penitentiary for five years. 1932. Riots in Kingston. Tim Buck's role in organizing the penitentiary violence isn't clear even yet. The investigation did disclose that two guards fired five shots into Buck's cell as he stood shouting at the height of the unrest. They missed. The kinder conclusion was that the guards wanted to frighten Buck. The other conclusion, attempted murder. Whatever the truth, Tim Buck was fast being made something of a martyr the Canadian Labour Defence League claimed 200,000 names on a petition to free him. November 1933, Buck is released triumphant. 17,000 persons attend his first public appearance. In 1935, unemployed men in British Columbia deserted their relief camps with the intention of going to Ottawa on freight trains to pressure the government to improve pay and conditions at the relief camps. Bennett and his government did not see this as a group of unemployed men looking to make things better. He and his government, including Guthrie, saw this as an insurrection and they acted as such. Guthrie would speak in the House of Commons stating that the protesters, quote, were a distinct menace to the peace, order, and good government of Canada, end quote. Once the protesters reached Regina, Guthrie had the trek halted, and the RCMP would use tear gas and guns to break up the trek when the men reached Regina. Exits out of the city were blocked, and on July 1, 1935, during a peaceful rally, Police moved to arrest protesters, resulting in dozens of injuries and one death. Guthrie would state in the House of Commons that the RCMP did not fire any shots, which was untrue, and the crowd were agitated and armed with sticks and rocks and attacked the Regina City Police, and the strikers had fired shots at the police and the city police returned fire. Guthrie would also deny in the House of Commons that there had been an order put in place to prohibit any gifts of money, clothing, or food to the Regina Relief Camp Strikers. I did an episode on the On to Ottawa trek, and you can find it on my website. With so much of the public against him, Guthrie would choose not to run in 1935, and this was probably a good idea as the Liberals and William Lyne Mackenzie King roared back to victory. He would then take on the position as the Chief Commissioner of the Board of Transport Commissioners. He would journey to Montreal in November of 1939 to preside over a hearing by the Board of Transport Commissioners when he started to feel ill and he would return home. He would eventually be taken to the hospital, but little could be done for him. Guthrie would die at the age of 73 on November 3, 1939. Sir Thomas White, Finance Minister during the First World War, would state, quote, Mr. Guthrie was a veteran in Dominion politics and an exceptionally able parliamentarian. He was an eloquent speaker on ceremonial occasions and a particularly effective debater in the House. He was popular with all his fellow members and his passing will cause widespread regret. 
End quote. R.B. Bennett would say of his friend, quote, He is a most distinguished parliamentarian, a wise and capable counsellor and an able administrator. He has served Canada through 39 sessions of Parliament and is by training and temperament eminently qualified for his work. He has a great capacity for friendship. End quote. And Arthur Mean would state, quote, His capacity both as a parliamentarian and administrator was greater than the public in general estimated. He handled all tasks with ease and dispatch. I remember particularly his speech in the Commons in 1917 calling for the formation of a union government. There has never been no finer a speech delivered in that house. End quote. I hope you enjoyed that episode and my look at Hugh Guthrie. And if you did, please leave a rating and review. If you like, you can reach me through email at craig at canadaehx.com. You can also visit my website where you'll find hundreds of articles on Canada's history as well as all my podcast episodes. Just go to canadaehx.com. And don't forget, you can support the podcast through Patreon. There are multiple tiers to choose from, all with great benefits. You can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month just like all of these wonderful patrons have, and I apologize if I mispronounce any names. Randy Hayden, Doug Campbell, Reg W., Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Randall McCallum, Diane Wade, Lorianne Kirby, Gary Dolovich, Nick Zinri, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Chauve, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Rawa, Luke S., J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. If you want, you can find me on Facebook. Just go to facebook.com slash CanadianHistoryX. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. And you can find me on Instagram. Just go to Bairdo37. Information comes from CPAC, Wellington Advisor, Wikipedia, Maclean's, Windsor Star, Vancouver Daily World, The Ottawa Citizen, and The Vancouver Sun. Thanks, and we'll see you again next time. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. <laughs> and Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.